Hello and welcome to the Access of Space Defense and Security podcast. I'm Omkar Nikam, your host for this episode. In this podcast, we explore the latest developments and trends in the fields of space exploration, defense technology, and national security. Each episode features insightful interviews with experts and industry leaders who share their perspectives on a wide range of topics, including the latest advances in satellite technology, space exploration missions, military defense strategies, cybersecurity, and more. Whether you are a space enthusiast, a military professional, or someone interested in the latest innovation in technology and security, this podcast has something for you. Join us as we delve into the cutting-edge research breakthroughs that are shaping the future of space defense and security. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to episode 6, India's rising importance as a global security navigator. take a deep dive into this topic we have today with us the international security expert dr samir patel hi samir welcome to the podcast thank you so much for inviting me likewise thank you very much samir for joining us today so before we start dissecting a certain set of questions related to the international security can you please provide us a brief outlook on your background and your work which has been a significantly beneficial for the international security as well as the india's national security strategy uh, okay great thank you so much uh, omkar for inviting me on this podcast so uh, as omkar said my name is uh, samir patil uh, i am a senior fellow at uh, india's uh, number one think tank observer research foundation uh, prior to this i have worked in the national security council secretariat handling uh, regional security and international terrorism tasks Uh, and then uh, after that i worked uh, at gateway house which is a mumbai based foreign policy think tank uh, my work primarily focuses on india's national security so within that i look at for instance defense i look at india's regional security counter terrorism as well as cyber security uh, over the last few years i have begun to pay attention uh, at the intersection of technology and national security because that is something which holds uh, a great uh, potential uh so if you see some of my recent writings they actually have focused on this particular aspect as well as also looking at the issues of defense technology cooperation uh, between india and us india and israel uh, as well as a couple of other india's like minded partners such as australia uh, so that is how my that is that's what my background is in uh, international and national security uh but i am a academic uh, academician by uh, by training so i did my masters mphil and most recently my uh, phd uh, from india's jawaharlal nehru university in the school of international studies my phd thesis looked at india's nuclear decision making on the two treaties uh, which def- uh, treaties which define the global non proliferation order the nuclear non proliferation treaty the npt and the comprehensive transplant treaty the ctbt so i looked at the domestic decision making uh, within india on these two treaties because india was one of the first countries to propose both the treaties to support both the treaties but india was also one of the first countries to reject both the treaties so what transpired in this first support and then the the opposition to these treaties is what i uh, looked at uh, so that's what my background is thank you thank you very much samir so that's a quite a lot uh, wide area of expertise i would say the international security domain and i think most of it is uh, very much uh, right now important uh, looking at the security landscape of the world uh, yes absolutely yeah, yeah 
uh, please proceed ahead if you'd like to extend a little bit. No, so as I said, you know that uh, yes, indeed, it's it's a broad area, but uh, uh, I have also, in a sense, as I said, you know, that in the last few years, I've begun to focus more on the technology aspect of it because, be it counterterrorism, be it nuclear, of course, cyber, but also uh, the defense technology partnerships that India is forging. The tech element is, in a sense, has come to dominate most of these uh, domains. So that is something which I'm concentrating on. Definitely. I think, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, cybersecurity is also one of your area of expertise. So definitely we'll be taking a, a deep dive into these questions ahead. Uh, so yeah, starting with the first thing, as you are based in India and uh, you have done quite a significant work in this area of domain uh, relating to India. So India is recently in the global security spotlight, especially after US's exit from Afghanistan and China, the tensions that are happening at the moment. So what are your thoughts on India's position on these issues? Thank you. So uh, as you mentioned, you know, the U.S. exit from Afghanistan and the Chinese assertiveness uh, in the Indo-Pacific, I think uh, India's regional security is currently uh, in a flux. Uh, on the eastern front, uh, uh, on the eastern front, uh, the two-year uh, two and long border standoff that India is having with the People's Liberation Army, I think that border standoff is, in a sense, defining the threat perception uh, uh, of India towards China. And as Dr. Jashankar, uh, the foreign minister, has repeatedly mentioned that the border standoff has, in a sense, fundamentally changed the nature of the India-China relations. Uh, but of course, this is something which has been happening for the last uh, one decade almost uh, since, because since uh, Xi Jinping took over as the as the head of the Chinese Communist Party, we have seen a a, a gradual growing assertiveness uh, in chi in China's uh, uh, aggressive posture, and that is something which has troubled all the all all, all of China's neighbors. And of course, uh, Taiwan has emerged as one of the prominent uh, recipient states of that Chinese uh, aggression. Uh, but but in a sense, I would say you know that uh, because India follows the one China principle, uh, in a sense, India is not directly in a sense getting affected by what is happening in the Taiwan Straits. But in but nonetheless, India has urged uh, both China and Taiwan to actually you know uh, in a sense maintain uh, the dialogue and no force uh, should be used. So that in a sense defines the the, the cautious cautious posture that India has taken vis-a-vis -vis the Taiwan issue. But because all these things are happening in the light of the, as I said, one of the prolonged border standoffs that India has been having with China, uh, one thing which has been noticeable uh, since the last few months, or at least in the last uh, one and a half year, is actually India's greater engagement with Taiwan, both at track 1.5 and track 2 uh, level. In a sense, there has been greater engagement with the Indian think tanks and Taiwanese think tanks. We have many Taiwanese uh, uh, think tank experts uh, joining the Indian uh, strategy community in discussing the regional security situation and those kind of things. So I think that is like a direct fallout of the uh, of the of the the India-China tensions as well as what is happening vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan. Now uh, looking at uh, India's Western Front, as you mentioned about the U.S. withdrawal uh, from Afghanistan, I think one thing which is noticeable is that the initial worst case scenario is that. The Indian strategy community, as well as the policymakers, had anticipated. Those have not, in a sense, really come true. Uh, in a sense, you know that we expected probably, in a sense, uh, the Afghan civil war to explode, 
and those kind of things, but uh, that has not really happened. Uh, having said that, I think one thing which remains constant is Afghanistan's emergence as a terrorist safe haven. If you look at uh, the, the reporting coming from the United Nations uh, observers on the ground, one thing which is pretty clear is that there are many Pakistan-headquartered anti-India terrorist groups such as Dashkar Taiba and Jashim Muhammad, they have established a safe haven on some in some of the Afghan provinces, and that, in a sense, continues to pose a danger to India as well as the Indian interests in Afghanistan. Uh, and if you see one of the first, uh, one of the first uh, contacts that the Indian officials made with the Taliban, uh, in that first contact, this was exactly the point that. Uh, Indian officials brought up, which is that they do not want Afghanistan to emerge as a terrorist uh, safe haven. Uh, so, so, so that is clearly the is going to define the Indian approach. Now, one other one other thing which has also happened in the last few months is that, or in the last one year uh, since Taliban took over, is that India has actually adopted a very nuanced position vis-a-vis -vis Afghanistan. So, even as it does not recognize the Taliban regime, India recognizes the importance of engaging with the Afghan civilians. And that meant that, you know, that India has been extending all sorts of humanitarian assistance uh, to the Afghan civilians, and that includes the COVID-19 vaccines, as well as uh, the food aid, and those kind of things. So that, in a sense, you know, is going to define India's approach, that it will not explicitly recognize the Taliban regime, but it, in a sense, it will work out a working relationship with the Taliban regime to ensure that the humanitarian assistance goes through. All right. Yeah, that that's an interesting position. I would say. Yeah, I I I guess I can relate to your analysis that uh, India's position of Afghanistan has you know quite significantly changed over the time. And just a follow up question on this: uh, Do you think India will be one of the leading players in the international security domain? Uh, like, given the fact that it is also one of the strong contenders for UNSC permanent membership. So I would say, you know, that uh, the permanent security, uh, permanent seat on the Security Council or not, I think India will emerge as an important player. India has emerged as an important player in the geopolitics today. And that's simply because of the fact of some of the, that, you know, that India has actually emerged as a, as a member of some of the exclusive clubs uh, which are there. So uh, besides being part of the, the export control regime, such as the the missile technology control regime, the Wasin arrangement, and the Australia group. Uh, India is also part of that group, uh, a group of nations which possess the, the anti-satellite uh, capabilities, plus the fact that, you know, that uh, we just saw the unveiling of the new aircraft carrier. So India is one of the very few countries which can indigenously build an aircraft carrier. That means, you know, that it has a very, uh, not so significant, but still a promising defense uh, industrial base. Um, India is also one of the few nations which have the space-faring capabilities, which was evident from the, the lunar probe, the Chandrayaan mission, as well as the fact that India is now preparing to send uh, uh, Indians into, uh, into the space. And plus the fact, uh, the development which happened two weeks ago, that uh, India uh, 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 took over as the fifth largest uh, economy in the world by the nominal GDP ratio, and the third largest by the purchasing power parity. So all these attributes, in a sense, ensure, and they, they have actually propelled India 
to emerge as an important player, and which is evident from the fact that India is part of uh, this, uh, you know, this, this, these various groupings which have emerged in today's geopolitics. Some of them actually could be contradictory, but nonetheless, India is part of that. The that it is a part of the the quadrilateral security initiative, but it's also part of the BRICS grouping. It's also part of the Shanghai Cooperation uh, Organization. So that, and also, is part of that new formation which has emerged in. Middle East, or what we what we in India call as West Asia, the I2U2, India, Israel, UAE, and the United States. And that just shows, you know, that India's profile is actually growing on the international stage. Uh, and it may not be as prominent as China, but in a sense, India is emerging as a credible counter uh, to, to China. And that, in a sense, is, is really putting India in, 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 in a very prominent spot. Yeah, I think as you mentioned about BRICS, uh, there are also like uh, similar for not actually the formal alliances, uh, but there are alliances like Quad, uh, which are also progressing ahead. Uh, and it will be quite quite interesting to see how these things emerge and how India will be leading ahead. So regarding the border tensions, India has taken a stronger defensive stand against Pakistan. And is this strategy urging Pakistan to encourage more foreign interference in its issues with India? So uh, when you look at Pakistan, I think uh, one thing that uh, we should give credit to Prime Minister Modi is actually his genuine outreach, which he had done in his first term. The fact is that, you know, that he invited the SAC leaders, including Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif, for this wedding ceremony. The fact that he paid a surprise visit to Lahore in December 2015, that in a sense shows, you know, that he was eager to have some kind of rapprochement, some kind of reconciliation with Pakistan, you know, at least to ensure you know, that the terrorist violence, uh, which is sponsored by Pakistan, does not really hurt the Indian national security interest. Uh, but that, in a sense, you know, uh, did not uh, work out, which is why if you see, uh, you know, th there has been a step up of the Indian response to the Pakistan-sponsored terrorist violence. And I think the turning point in this, uh, or the two turning points came about in 2019, which was the, the suicide attack uh, by the Jaisha Muhammad on the CRPF convoy uh, in, uh, in in Jammu Kashmir's Pulwama district, and then the, the 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 constitutional change which was brought about in Article 370 in Jammu and Kashmir and this creation of the two new union territories, uh, Jammu and Kashmir and the Ladakh union territories, uh, that in a sense I think you know can be termed as like the turning points for the India-Pakistan bilateral relations because since then we have seen uh, uh, India being calling out Pakistan's bluff on many issues and Pakistan in a sense has engaged primarily in rhetoric. Uh, to highlight uh, what India has been doing and to, plus to project India as uh, a chief uh, violator of the human rights and those kind of things. But that was not really made a dent. And that, in a sense, has caused frustration within the Pakistan establishment, which is why if you, you see now more and more reports are talking about how Pakistan is trying to uh, spread this disinformation within the the within the, the 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 community here, in terms of ensuring you know that there is some kind of discontentment which which emerges against the Indian government, and in a sense also seed some uh, uh, the the so the seeds of doubts against the against the, the Indian government to uh, to ensure you know, that the existing divisions which are there in the society in the Indian society they can be accentuated and they can be amplified. 
So that is what we have seen in terms of the Pakistani uh, interference in the Indian society. Of course, we'll have to see how far Pakistan is willing to go on this front and how this threat actually pans out, uh, pans out in the next uh, few years. So far, what we have seen is that uh, Pakistan has been doing all this disinformation. It is, in a sense, uh, uh, in a sense, gaining some traction, but that traction is temporary. So besides giving that temporary advantage to the Pakistan establishment, in the long term, it is not really yielding the kind of impact that Pakistan had hoped for. Wow, that's a very wide range of threat research analysis, uh, landscape, and these are all, I guess, uh, very critical elements. Uh, so can you provide us a brief outlook on India's status of cyber capabilities looking at all these elements of threat research and analysis aspect and how it can counter cyber threats from adversary groups? When it comes to the cyber threat landscape, uh, besides Pakistan, China is also an important threat actor. And we have seen that in the repeated breaches of the Indian critical infrastructure in the last few years, we have seen how, for instance, at the height of the border standoff, after the violent clash in June 2020, we had uh, the breaches by the Chinese state-sponsored hackers into India's power sector, uh, as well as in the port, as well as in the railway infrastructure. So that just shows the persistence of the Chinese uh, state-sponsored hackers in targeting the Indian critical infrastructure, which makes China one of the, one of the prominent cyber threats. Uh, we also seen some kind of espionage attempts coming from the the Chinese hackers, uh, which is evident from the fact that, for instance, there was a targeting of the two uh, prominent Indian vaccine makers, the Bharat Biotech and the Serum Institute of India. And the targeting was, in a sense, really uh, important because if you see, China has been, you know, China's own vaccine has not really made that kind of impact worldwide as against India's uh, uh, Covishield or AstraZeneca. So that particular vaccine is being now used, India's vaccine is being used in more than one uh, and 180 countries as against China's, which is being used only in 90 countries. Plus, the effectiveness of the Chinese vaccine is also under question uh, because you're seeing that even as, even as the world is uh, getting past the pandemic, uh, the reports from China, in a sense, indicate you know, that China is many of the Chinese cities are still under lockdown and China is following a zero COVID policy, which shows the 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 lack of effective effectiveness of their own vaccine. So we have seen that kind of espionage attempts also in terms of targeting the targeting the Indian vaccine makers and and try to harvest some kind of data which would be beneficial for the Chinese uh, pharma industry. So that in a sense it covers the the broad spectrum of threat coming from China. And as I said, even the Pakistanis uh, are are getting better at their cyber uh, game. So from the earlier nuisance value attacks of defacing the Indian websites, uh, the tit for tat attacks coming from the Indian hackers. Uh, we have seen now even the Pakistanis advancing their cyber capabilities. Uh, so they have they are now designing advanced malware which targets the Indian government officials and tries to extract information uh, from them by breaching their sensitive computer networks. So those remain in a sense the two prominent sources of threat for India's cyber landscape. But besides that, we have also seen threats coming from the non-state actors. And here I actually you know, uh, divide these into two. One is the use of the cyberspace by the Pakistan-headquartered anti-India terrorist groups such as Lashkar Taiba and Jesha Mohammed, which have used the cyberspace for terrorist recruitment and propaganda. 
uh, and radicalization. And we have seen the fallout of that in the Kashmir Valley, where where there has been a spurt in the local recruitment, uh, uh, the local uh, uh, boys joining the, the terrorist groups. And that is a direct fallout of the radicalization and the kind of propaganda which these groups are putting it in the cyberspace. But besides the, the NET and JU, there's also the Islamic State or the Daesh terrorist group. And that is also, in, in a sense, has amplified its, its cyber propaganda and is also having some impact on the vulnerable uh, Indian youth. The second category of the non-state actors is all the organized cyber criminal gangs. And again, we have seen that India is one of the top targets in terms of cyber crimes. Uh, it's also one of the top targets in terms of ransomware uh, attacks. So that just shows, you know, that uh, you know that India's cyber uh, threat uh, landscape is, in a sense, very complex, where it has to face multiple threats coming in, not just from the state actors, but also the non-state actors. And in some cases, the state-sponsored uh, non-state actors, such as the Chinese uh, state-sponsored hacking groups, such as Red Panda and Red Eco. Now, in response to this, India has been, you know, uh, hardening its cyber defenses. It has, in a sense, created one of the most extensive regulatory and institutional architecture uh, to deal with the cyber threats. So uh, in 2014, we had the National Critical Information Infrastructure Protection Center, or the NCIPC, which was brought out, uh, uh, which was specifically created to to ensure you know, that the critical infrastructure remains safe. And this particular center works with the public and the private sector. Then there is also the national cybersecurity policy, which came out in 2013. And that, uh, in a sense, is now being updated a decade later in the form of national cybersecurity strategy. And we're hoping to have it uh, soon. In 2015, India created the post of National Cybersecurity Coordinator, which reports to the National Security Advisor. This particular post is supposed to coordinate between the technical, law enforcement, judicial, and the intelligence agencies to ensure you know, that there is an interagency kind of a collective response to the cyber threats. Uh, you may have also seen the reports about the creation of the Defense Cyber Agency uh, from the from the Indian military. So that also looks at the 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 the, the cyber security element for the for, for the Indian uh, military as well as for the Ministry of uh, Defense, uh, and the effectiveness of these uh, these steps has been evident in the fact that from an independent assessment coming from the International Telecom Union, which is the United Nations uh, one of the organs of the United Nations, the the IT was actually you know appreciated India's. Uh, cybersecurity uh, response. So in 2020, India actually jumped by 37 places uh, from last year at number 10 uh, in the global cybersecurity uh, index. So in 2019, it was at uh, 47, but in 2020, it rose to number 10. And that just shows, you know, that even, there is, even the independent assessment uh, has, uh, has, uh, has appreciated the kind of response which has been given by the by the Indian security establishment to the evolving cyber threats. And of course, the, the biggest uh, success of the Indian cybersecurity establishment is the fact that we have been able to avoid a crippling uh, or a debilitating kind of a cyber attack on the Indian critical, critical infrastructure. Of course, there have been other uh, breaches of the Indian computer networks, but we have been able to prevent what uh, what would be the equivalent of a 9-11 kind of or a 27 kind of an attack in the in the world of terrorism? Highly appreciate the position of you know India scaling up to the top 10, uh, being one of the you know cyber counter countries. So just a follow-up question on this: uh, have cyber attacks in India ever affected the country's 
international relations sphere? If yes, then to what scale was the impact? So, uh, in a sense, not exactly it has figured in India's uh, international relations as such, but I think the repeated uh, Chinese malicious cyber activities has soured uh, the India-China relations. And as I said, you know, coming in the wake of this prolonged border standoff, uh, this kind of opening on the cyber front by the Chinese side has not really gone down well with the Indian security establishment because this is perceived as a kind of a coercion of the for, of India by the by the Chinese side. So the the kind of chill that you are seeing currently in the India-China relations uh, is actually you know can be can be attributed to. China's opening of these multiple fronts against India, even as the two militaries are engaged in uh, in in a border in a border standoff, vis-a-vis uh, -vis Pakistan, you know this issue has not really figured because the as I said, the Indian security establishment has been able to manage the Pakistani cyber threat, but I think vis-a-vis -vis China, it's 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 a problem. Wow, that's 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 interesting insight. So I think we are uh, reaching the end point uh, of the podcast. Uh, so, Samir, uh, I would like to know, as an international uh, security expert with more than a decade of experience, what message would you like to give to future generation stepping into the field of international security, defense, strategic studies, and any related fields? Well, I think, uh, of course, with the current geopolitical developments and India's own uh, growing global uh, profile and engagement, I think this field really presents as like a, a very attractive field in terms of making the career and of course there are many opportunities which are available uh, uh, in terms of the international organizations in terms of media in terms of think tank and the public uh, policy space within the government of course plus also the risk intelligence uh, analysis and the, the, the consultancies that many of us uh, also also do but i think uh, my advice would be simple for those people who are, are going to step in this field i think once you get a formal degree uh, one of the things that, as you know, as a student, I used to, uh, in a sense, lament was the fact that we really did not have the kind of publishing opportunities uh, when you know when we had something to write about. I think today the situation has changed. Today there are many uh, platforms which are available, uh, which actually give the opportunity for the young uh, so, uh, people to write and express themselves on the international relations, and I think that's that's a good development. But the I would say the the bad side of it is the fact that you know that uh, many of us actually you know then end up uh, uh, doing much more opining and uh, much more opining rather than actually going and researching the subject in deep. And I think that has emerged as a major weakness in the last few years that there are many young scholars who do write prolifically on the various global issues, but. That is just an opinion, a mere opinion. They really have, you know, not paid attention to the details and working out the research. And I think uh, the research remains a key if you want to be successful uh, in this particular field, and not just this field, but also many of the field which require that kind of deep uh, diving into the kind of subjects. So, my simple advice would be, you know, that even as you establish yourself, you know, by writing and all these things, I think you need to be. Uh, true uh, to the fundamentals of the subject. You know, you should be doing a deep diving into the subject. And uh, also possible, try to learn a foreign language, which will, in a sense, propel your career. Because especially this is true for the people coming from India, that by nature, you know, that Indians can speak three languages, especially if you look at the people from, from the southern part of the country. 
that apart from the mother tongue, there's also Hindi and English, which many of us uh, can speak. So that also makes us, in a sense, the speaker of three languages. But if you if you take one more language, which you think will be beneficial, I think that that itself, you know, can uh, you know be a good skill uh, to have. And there are many uh, uh, there are many uh, organizations which are looking for that kind of uh, skill. And I think the last point would be you know that. Uh, always be mindful of the policy implications and policy relevance of what you're doing and what you're saying and what you're writing. Because uh, again, as, as I said, you know, that there are many people who do opine, but you know, then when they're asked to work out the policy options, they lack. So that is something which, you know, that, you know, that we should be making a very conscious effort as well, uh, to, to, uh, to effort that even as we are writing, we should be posing ourselves a question, you know, how someone sitting in the government as a policymaker, if he or she reads that particular piece of writing, you know, what kind of options we can offer them in terms of making the policy, if the issue is of relevance to uh, to India and to the policymakers. And I think that remains, I think, one of the key, uh, 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 in a sense, challenge, that to have some kind of a policy relevance or whatever that you're doing. Yes, definitely. I think uh, these are very critical and important points, and I hope... Uh, people who listen to this podcast actually take away some key important points and notes for their career as well. So thank you very much, Sameh, for your precious time. Uh, it was really great speaking with you. Uh, I hope we uh, sometime, sometime down the line continue as a second part as well, because I think there are a lot of uh, things to explore in terms of cyber capabilities of India. So yeah, thank you very much again. Thank you so much, Omkar, for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you find our podcast insightful, then please like, share and subscribe. See you in the next episode. Thank you.